All right, thank you. That's a, that's a, a commitment and effort, a job well done. You know, it, even that Jim could show Kareen uh, uh, there now several years later, living in the home that, that uh, they were able to provide her with. That's a real blessing. Well, I, I was, as they were showing pictures of digging the, the trenches, I was wondering if they got deep enough to go below the frost line. Um, but that probably wasn't an issue there. Nothing like a little snow to, you know, wake you up on Time Change Sunday and get out and move a little snow this morning. But uh, uh, appreciate you all being here. Uh, and we are going to continue our uh, study in the book of Genesis. Uh, last week... Justin covered a, a portion in Genesis 17, and, and it's an interesting uh, exchange there. God visited Abraham, and that's what uh, Justin talked about last week, and, and gave him the, uh, made a covenant, made a promise to him, uh, and sealed that covenant with the sign of circumcision, and Abraham then obeyed and circumcised and his household and all that. And in between there are a couple of other uh, exchanges, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about an a, a exchange between, between the Lord and Abram. Oh, we can, we can call him Abraham now. Uh, you know, we've been calling him Abram up till now, and uh, in chapter 17, God changed his name. So now it's, now it's Abraham. And uh, it, it took us since April to, get, to say Abram consistently, and now we'll have to switch over to Abraham. Um, and uh, Sarah as well. In the passage we're going to look at today, uh, Sarah gets a new name as well. Uh, and so we're going to look at these two conversations and two uh, reactions, I guess, by Abraham and Sarah. I, I particularly want to, I'm going to focus on their reactions to what God told them. So let's pray and uh, commit this time and thank God for this time, for his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks to us today. Thank you that if we will listen, uh, you will speak. You have spoken through your word, and I pray that we would listen and have hearts to hear, ears to hear and hearts to hear. So we commit ourselves to you. pray that I'd be able to speak clearly and... Uh, Faithfully, of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read uh, a portion in 17 and then, and then uh, jump to 18. But uh, we'll go through. I'll make a couple observations. Uh, there's one main idea, that I think, that I want to highlight and then uh, some application. But here in the midst of God renewing his uh, covenant, so to speak, with Abraham... He said, and God said to Abraham, here in uh, chapter 17, verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give, a, give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Okay, so... This sounds a, a, quite a bit like the other promises that God has made to Abraham, right? That he was going to be a father of many nations. But this is the first time that he's named Sarah, that he said it's, it's Sarah 
Sarah's going to be the one. I mean, we, we talked about how Sarah and Abraham departed from God's plan, and, and uh, Abraham took this second wife, and it wasn't God's plan, but that was their plan. But here God is saying, no, my plan is with Sarah. And it's, it's interesting that it's been, it's been over 20 years since God originally told Abraham that he was going to be a father of nations. It's been over 20 years. Think about, it. Think about what you were doing 20 years ago. He's been waiting that entire time. And now they, 13 years prior, uh, Ishmael was born, so they may have in their mind, well, this is, the plan is being carried out this way. Maybe not the way we originally thought, but is this God's plan? So they've been waiting for a long time, but they're still childless, Sarah and Abraham. And so God is saying, about Sarah, I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So now it's specific. This promise is specific to Sarah. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, have bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. Almost like God had to tell him again, No, 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 you didn't hear me. Sarah, your wife's going to have a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Surprise, surprise. It's Sarah. Back in, in 12, uh, chapter 12, Abraham said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And now here, he's many years later, he's saying, and it's going to be with your wife, Sarah. And so then there's another, I'm going to jump down to another account. It's, and, and these two accounts are in very close proximity. Um, the one seems to be a conversation, the Lord and Abraham. And then, Another account, and it's within days because it, it is a very similar uh, promise. It says in uh, verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. That's where Abraham and Sarah were living at that time. And they are still tent dwellers, as they were all their lives. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So Abraham recognized that these were just not three ordinary wanderers at his tent door. These were special individuals. And so he he 
runs into the tent, says, Sarah, make some bread. And then he goes out and finds a young calf, and he gives it to one of his young servants and says, prepare this, cook this calf. This is not fast food. Um, but he was being hospitable to these three visitors. These three visitors. And so then he brought, and brought them lunch, and they stayed. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. He said the same thing that the Lord had said in that prior passage. And, your, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. I love that exchange, <laughs> because then it, it, that's the end of the exchange. No, Sarah, you did laugh. I heard you. So they've been waiting a long time. And now the Lord comes to them and says in no uncertain terms, there's, there's no mistaking this message. No, Abraham, it's Sarah's going to have a child. Your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child. I'm coming back next year, and she's going to have a child, a son. And you're going to name him Isaac. He took away all kinds of confusion about how is this going to happen. But what did Abraham and Sarah both do when God told them that? They laughed. That's not usually the response you see when God shows up to his people in the Bible they fall on their face. That's a fairly common response. But laughing isn't usually, oftentimes it's trembling with fear. They laughed. They laughed. They couldn't believe it. The promise, they'd been waiting a long time and the promise didn't seem to be clear and it was hard to understand, hard to believe. He thought it's got to be Ishmael, but no, it's going to be Sarah. It was just, they couldn't believe it. It was incredible. It was absurd. It was improbable. Inconceivable, unimaginable. It just didn't compute. They both said, we're, we're too old. This doesn't, it's, doesn't work this way. I, I uh, laughed at a neurosurgeon once. That might sound kind of funny. I'm a, I'm a nurse, and I was working early in my career nursing career. I was working on a neuro floor, and uh, um, I, was, I, had neuro, I had surgery patients to prepare through the day, and one that was due in the afternoon. Anyway, long story short, um, the neurosurgeon showed up several hours earlier and wanted to know why his patient wasn't ready yet. And when he said it, it just seemed absurd to me. And I, I laughed, I, and I didn't laugh like you do when somebody tells you a really funny joke, like, <laughs> but it was that, <laughs> you know, because they know you shouldn't laugh at neurosurgeons. Um, they, you know, they're kind of, 
they're kind of up the pecking order quite a ways in a, the medical community. And uh, I, but he, what he said was so crazy to me that I couldn't stifle this laughter. And then we had a conversation real close to our faces, and I didn't do any of the talking. Uh, but, but I laughed, and I, I pictured Abraham the same way. It's like, are you kidding? Are you kidding, God? It doesn't, it's too hard. It's too hard to understand. I don't get it. In fact, he said to, to Sarah, is anything too hard for God? That's a rhetorical question. That's where there's only one right answer, right? No, there isn't anything too difficult for God, but sometimes it's, a, it's very hard to see how it can happen. Something that God has promised us or something that you said is true. She denied it. And I don't believe that Abraham was in unbelief. You know, you say, oh, he had given up on the promise. He, so when God told him this is going to come true, he, he laughed because he didn't believe it. I don't think he was in unbelief. Because in Romans, it tells us that, um, speaking specifically to, about Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That sounds a little more noble than laughing, but I think he just had a hard, he, he couldn't comprehend it. It was beyond his ability to understand. He was still believing God's promise, but the details were difficult for him to grasp. And we often struggle to believe or understand what God has told us or even promised us. It's not always easy to take God at his word. It's not always easy. Perhaps there's something difficult that you've asked God to remove or someone that you care about is in dire straits and you've prayed for that and nothing's happening. Or there's something that God says about you and you just can't see that that's true. You can't understand that that's, you can't believe it. So we often, we live, this might sound, we live between belief and disbelief. Belief and unbelief even. There's, there's some times where we're serving and we, we're, we're in, uh, serving with our gifts and we're, we know right where we belong and, it, and we're assured of, we, we're just confident that God's at work. And other times where he can seem far away and we can seem confused and not quite know the confidence that we would like to have. We have his spirit but we, we have his, his life in us, but we still live in this body, we live in this world around us that, that fills our senses. There's a, an account in, in the book of Mark, Mark 9, that I, that I think highlights this idea of living between belief and unbelief. Jesus and his three closest disciples had just been up on the mountain. He'd been transfigured. Elijah and Moses showed up. Quite an experience. They came down, and there was a group. Something was going on, and there was a, there was a, a man had brought his young, uh, his son. We don't know how old he is. His son, who had an uh, unclean spirit that would throw him into seizures and 
And, uh, and he had brought his son to Jesus' disciples. And they had, because uh, he, he, he'd heard that they could heal. They could cast out these spirits. And he brought them there. And Jesus wasn't there. And his disciples tried to cast out this spirit and he, they couldn't. And so there's people all around. Why can't you? You know, what's going on here? And Jesus came down and assessed the situation and the father said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy, he fell to the ground and t- rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into the fire, into water to destroy him. And I think about that. It says from childhood. That gives you the impression that this wasn't a kid. This was possibly a grown young man. And this had been happening since he was a child. Can you imagine being that father? All the time you'd wanted this not to be the case, how you've prayed for and desired that your son be delivered from this. And then you bring him, and they can't do anything to help you. And so he said, the father said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. I like that, if you can. Because the father said, you know, so far it hadn't worked, but if you can do something, please help us. Jesus said, if you can. I can. All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. His father believed. He, he, he came in faith. He came and believed. Knew he, he was wanted to believe that God, that Jesus could do something to help him. But on the other hand, he wasn't seeing it. He says, help my unbelief. Help me believe that you can do this. I think there's a subtle difference between unbelief and disbelief. Unbelief kind of says, I won't believe. I won't believe it. Disbelief is, I can't believe it. So I just can't get my thoughts around it. I can't comprehend it. Jesus' disciples, they were in the storm. Jesus is in the boat. They think they're going to drown. What's the question Jesus asked them? Where is your faith? They were panicking. They've seen him do miracles. And yet, they're in a bad situation and they're panicked. Just after Jesus fed 5,000, he walked on the water past them in the boat. Peter got out of the boat, walked with him, began to sink. Peter, why did you doubt? Because he looked around, he saw this, this isn't the way things work. You don't walk on water, right? It didn't, he couldn't, couldn't believe it. So the point I wanted to make is our confusion, our impatience, or even disbelief do not invalidate God's promised goodness. 
It didn't, the fact that Abraham and Sarah both laughed with disbelief, they couldn't believe it. Can this happen to somebody who's 100? My wife who's 90? That didn't cancel God's plan. God didn't say, oh, you're right, <laughs> that was a crazy idea. No, he went ahead. They came, came back a year later and they did have a baby, Isaac. It was true. Oftentimes we think our ability to understand or our ability to be without a doubt confident is what God's promises hinge on. That I've got to have this nailed down and have not a shadow of a doubt before God will fulfill his promises. God's faithful to his promises. God's faithful. Another place that I wanted to highlight that one of my favorite psalms, because it's so, I I think it's so real. Uh, Psalm 73 is written by a man named Asaph. He he was a musician. He uh, uh, was charged with music in the temple in in David's time. And uh, the Psalm 73 is just honest about his struggles and his Questions. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He, as Asaph said, I, I almost slipped. My feet had almost slipped. I, I want to do right. I want to be a man of faith. But I look around and I see the wicked people seem to be having a pretty good life. If you go on, the next several verses in this chapter talk about what a great life the wicked around him are having. They're prosperous. They don't get sick. They're healthy. They're proud. They scoff at God. And God doesn't do anything. So Asaph is confused. It's like, what in the world? I thought, I thought righteous people like me were supposed to get the good life. He didn't get it. He didn't get it. He was confused. And then he, 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 like I said, he explained and he thought, you know, why am I keeping my hands clean? Why am I trying to be a good, why am I trying to be a good God follower when the people that scoff at God, they're having a great life? It says, in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. But see, then in verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Until he went into the sanctuary of God, until he saw God, so he went into God's presence and listened, and God changed his perspective. God changed his perspective. Down in verse 21, when my soul was embittered, When I was pricked in heart, I was brutish in ignorance. I was like a beast toward you. So while he was confused, that's how he described himself. I was like a beast. He said, nevertheless, the very next verse, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. That is a picture of a guy who's, he's looking around, using his eyes, and he, it's not making sense. Then he goes into God's presence. God changes his perspective. 
But God, you, even when I was so confused, you had me by the hand and you were going to guide me. Even when I was confused, even when I was thinking, those wicked people have it better than me. Not true. He, he, God gave him a long-range picture. I'd encourage you to read that psalm this week. God is not afraid of our struggles and doubts. God is not afraid. He wasn't afraid of Asaph. This made it into the Bible. When Asaph said, I almost stumbled, I almost slipped, I envied the wicked. God didn't say, oh, we better not put that part in the Bible. God's not afraid of our struggles. God's not afraid of our questions. He's faithful even when we have difficulty believing it. God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah even when they just couldn't believe what he was saying. So a couple ideas about how do we, how do we do, what do we do with this? And we've talked a, a number of uh, times over the last several weeks about promises, God's promises to us. Because Abraham had a very specific promise to him, right? God has said, you're going to be a father of many nations. I'm going to bless the world through you. Um, and we talk about what's God promised you. I haven't had any heavenly visitors at my, on my front porch like Abraham did. But God has made many promises to me, primarily in this book. In this book. And I'm, I want to share a few, kind of rapid fire. Because, uh, because if I say, what, what does God promise you? You might think, well, I don't know. I don't know. I want to put some, put some handles on it here. So, in, in uh, John, the first chapter of John, John 1.12, says if we would receive him, give us, get, he will give us the right to be his children. That I'm a child of God. That's a, a, a statement of fact, that if, if you receive Jesus he gives you, you're the, you have the right to be called a child of God. It's a promise. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 said, We're saved by grace, not by what I've done, but by his grace, and that I'm his workmanship, created for good works. That I'm, I have something, God has made me for a purpose. Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He won't leave us. Even in difficulty, even in good times, he won't leave us. Even when we don't understand what he's doing, even when we have questions, he will not leave us or forsake us. All through our life, all through our life, we can trust him. In Proverbs 3, it says, if we trust him, he'll guide us. If we put our confidence in him rather than in ourselves, he will guide us. That's a promise. He said, trust me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In Philippians 4, 19, it says God will supply all your needs. God will supply all your needs. That's a promise. He knows what you need. Same chapter, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. He will hear your worries and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. That, that I think, is particularly pertinent in our our current culture and current, current world situation. Anxiety is rampant. There's so much to worry about. Are we in another cold war? What, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Anxiety says if he invites us to cast our cares on him, 
He says, don't be anxious. Pray about everything. He'll hear your worries and he'll give you peace. Wow, that's sometimes, that's one that takes work sometimes to believe that God can give us peace in the midst of our anxieties. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He's given us each gifts to be used for the benefit of others. He's given you gifts. He's given you abilities. And you have a place. That's a promise. So that, that's the kind of promises that God's word is full of. may not sound like, well, Mark... I have this promise for you. Nobody else gets this one. But we all have these promises. We all have these promises. And do I ever read some of those things and laugh to myself? Think, <laughs> but God, you don't know me. You, you said I'm your workmanship, but you don't know me. I'm a piece of work, all right. No. So, it's good to know the promises God has given his people, you, to know those promises. Second application, I think, is we need to slow down and pay attention. Just hearing this on Sunday morning, if, if, if we don't slow down throughout our week, our eyes and ears get filled up with all of the other sights and sounds circulating around us. We have to slow down Pay attention, be intentional, listen to God. It sounds funny, listen to God. But, be, but remind ourselves of these promises. Remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Sometimes it's, good to, sometimes it's much easier to see God's faithfulness looking backwards. If you look back on your life, if you've, been, if you've been following Christ for a number of years, you can look back and point to times when God was faithful. In the midst of it, sometimes it's harder to see. But we can remind ourselves. But slow down and pay attention. Slow down and let God speak. Like Asaph did. Until I went, he was confused until he went into the sanctuary of God. We need to take time through our days to stop, turn down the noise. Turn off the noise. Because you can, you can keep the inputs going all day long, can't you? I mean, there's inputs all day long. If Asaph had not gone into the sanctuary of God, if he had continued to look around at the wicked and be jealous of their prosperity, he, his feet would have slipped. He said, I'd almost slipped. Until he went into the, If he had not gone into the sanctuary of God, he would have slipped. He would have slipped. So if we move passively through life, receiving all the inputs God's promises will be drowned out by all the other voices and noise. Doesn't happen by accident. Have to take pains, have to take efforts, take take action or inaction as it were. Stop the busyness periodically to get our minds renewed and refreshed. And the final thought of application is to we need to persevere in faithful patience we get impatient don't we waiting for God to act we think 
I mean, there's things that I have prayed for and prayed for, and I'm still waiting. And uh, sometimes we, we get impatient, we give up, think, oh, well, God doesn't care about that situation. God doesn't, not paying attention. We need to be patient. We need to be patient. His timing is independent of, our, of my expectations. God's timing is independent of my expectations. I expect action. <laughs> when I pray, I, I want an answer. Can you imagine waiting, 20, like Abraham, get, being given this promise, and 20 years later, he's still waiting. I don't know why God made him wait so long. Why? If you can explain that to me, catch me afterwards. Why did God give him a promise, then make him wait over 20 years. What's the deal? God is not on the same timetable as we are. In 2 Peter 3, he says that he, uh, he, he is not slow as some count slowness. Oh, yeah. yeah. With, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years are one day. He's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. This was in response to people saying, hey, Jesus said he's coming back. Where is he? Things are going along like they always have. And that's what, that's what Peter said. And then in Hebrews, it says, let, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I believe Jesus lived a life of faith as he walked through what God had, what the Father had for him to do. He lived a life of faith. God is patient with us. But he also desires that we grow in faith. He doesn't want us to continually miss what he has. I, I think of Thomas. Many of you know Thomas. After Jesus had uh, died and he rose from the dead, and some of the disciples saw him, and, and Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas said, I, now here's the, the, he said, I won't believe. He says, I can't believe it. I won't believe until I can see him. Put my fingers in the nail holes. That, Thomas, he couldn't comprehend it. Dead guys don't come back to life. And Jesus Said, have you, when, he, when Thomas finally got, Jesus was patient with Thomas. He could have just said, Thomas, if you're not going to believe your brothers, if you're not going to believe that I could come back from the dead, you're, off, you're out of the team. But no, he invited him. Thomas, look at my hands. Put your hand on my side. He tolerated Thomas's desire to see. But then he said, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus encouraged that faith. He encouraged a life of faith. So our, our confusion, our impatience, even the disbelief that we might feel or have in our minds sometimes don't invalidate God's promised goodness. He will fulfill his promise. He's not afraid of our struggles and doubts. In the midst of them, he holds our hands like Asaph wrote in Psalm 73. He's faithful even when we have difficulty believing it. So we should know his, know his promises. Be reminded. Remind ourselves of his promises. 
The ones that he's given all of us. Slow down. Turn off the noise. Pay attention to what he wants to speak to you about. And persevere in faithful patience. Not just, you know, you can persevere in patience. Kind of put your head down and grind it out. But faithful patience. Patience that's full of faith. That continues to believe. I believe Abraham continued to believe even when he couldn't understand it. Even when it had been a long time coming. And he, and he wasn't quite sure what God was talking about. But he continued to believe. That's what we're called to do. Walk through this life with faith. And believe him. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that you are not afraid of our struggles. You're not afraid. You don't write us off when we say to you, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like that father said, help my unbelief. Help me. And Abraham, when he laughed, you didn't cut him out of the picture. He, you said, no, no, you, it, it's, gonna, it's true. It's, Sarah's going to have a baby. When Sarah laughed, you didn't say, okay, you're done. You said, no, you did laugh. So God, help us as we seek to walk in faith and live by faith. Help us to look to you and submit to you and learn from you. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.